Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe, how are you? Hey Jules, I'm good, how are you? Holding on. <laughs> Beautiful. Sing it again. No, no, I'm okay. I went running this morning, mm. not to focus on myself, but I went running this morning and I was having a good run. I'm on a roll. And then obviously it's a bit wet and cold out. So then I ended up like slipping and falling. And when I fell, mm. I actually landed quite hard on my hip. And then my chin actually landed on the pavement oh no I was just lucky because my hands broke the fall so I ended up like scraping my hand on the pavement it was quite dramatic it sounds so painful yeah it was quite painful not super painful but it was like a shock I think it was more the shock of it so I was basically trying to avoid this man and his kids I thought okay run around them and then when I was running around them I slipped oh god and I think what shocked me is that this guy didn't even ask if I was okay Oh, you just kept going? Just kept going. Oh my God, so rude. And I'm like, okay. And so I got up and then I was like, okay, Jules, try to sort of get back into it. You're a warrior. But then I was like, oh, forget it, whatever. I'll just walk home. I wasn't far from home, but that happened to me and I was a bit shooketh by that. Once you get to a certain age, like you just simply don't fall anymore. And I think that it really does surprise you when you hurt yourself or when you do trip over. Yeah. We were out for a walk at, was it even this weekend? I think, no, it was last weekend. And we basically were walking through the park and my husband had walked on ahead of me and he had like gone down a hill, but like obviously it had been raining loads. Like you're saying, it's cold, it's kind of slippy and it's wet. And I'd watched him kind of brace his knees so that he was essentially in ski stance going down the hill. And I was thinking, I was watching him do it and I was going, I'm going to fall if I do that. I'm going to fall if I do that. But because he had just gone down the hill and like hadn't looked around to see where I was, I was thinking, I don't want to call him back and be like, "Mm, can you uh, hold my hand, please? So I went, okay. Just basically tried to mimic his body language. And of course, I went down immediately. And I just rolled the whole (laughs) hill. Like I stood on my back because I tried to move. I'm so scared of hitting my nose after the operation that I was like, oh no. So like literally threw my hands up. And when I got to the bottom, I wasn't hurt at all. Like it wasn't like you falling on a hard pavement. I fell on mud. Like (laughs) I cried the whole way home. As soon as I got up, I just went (laughs) like, (laughs) so I do think my adult body was just not ready to slip over essentially. Yeah, no, it's traumatizing. And so I, you know, and what was so annoying is that I got home and then I had a call, like a customer call, like 20 minutes, like after I got home. So I had to go straight into work mode. I had no time to feel sorry for myself. Yeah. And then literally around lunchtime, I just had to shed a few tears. But I think there's so much going on. (laughs) But on top of it, just that, I was like, okay, I really hope the rest of my week is not like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a reminder of, um, like, it's humbling. <laughs> you yeah. Up and you're like, okay, right, I can actually hurt myself. Yeah, no, exactly. As you said, not so much hurt, but still just the shock that it can happen. My husband kept going, are you sure you haven't hurt yourself? And I was going, no, but I knew I was going to fall. <laughs> <laughs> At least your husband's concerned. My husband was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, when you've got those parents, they're like, whatever. Literally. (laughs) Not interested. Charles is very sensitive. And so Charles gets upset, like, thinking about someone being hurt or someone being embarrassed, you know? So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, imagine if I tripped over coming out of that shop. Like, Charles would full on put his hand to his chest and be like, oh, that would upset me so much. (laughs) So, well, at least you have that. I know. I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. <laughs> how was your How was your week? Um, you know what? It's been really busy, and I think I just got a text before we started recording from a friend asking, "Do I need to have watched the first couple of seasons of The Crown before I start the new one with Margaret Thatcher and everything like that?" And I was thinking, "Has it come out yet?" Because I really want to be able to just guiltlessly binge that. But I've got a lot of uni work on at the moment. And I had it in my head that 
that didn't come out until the 15th. So, you know, when you think, oh, my God, is time slipping away? Are we already mid-November? So I don't think it's out yet. Okay, that's reassuring yeah. to me. Um, it's, I literally... it, it's out soon, but it's not out yet because I would have watched it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm really trying to make sure I can enjoy it properly. So I've got some Christmas decorations up because I feel like I'm losing my mind. But I mm-hmm. want these assignments done, hopefully, before the end of November when they're due in. So I can actually have a couple of days holiday with my husband who is not working at the moment and we can just be like festive in the house. But yeah, so it's just constant on my end. How about you? Uh, Yeah, it's been the same. I mean, it's a bit crazy because obviously we're in a second lockdown phase Mm -hmm. in the UK. So it's not like I'm socialising, but I am very busy. And then if I'm not doing something, I'm I'm actually a bit tired. Yeah. But I did watch The uh, Social Dilemma last night. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I'm kind of nervous to watch it because everyone has such a huge reaction to it. But what did you think? stressful very stressful it's very very stressful um it's stressful in the sense that you know just like the ceos of coca-cola or the execs of coca-cola don't let their kids drink coke right execs of you know these powerful platforms like facebook instagram you had one of the senior guys from pinterest or ex uh, pinterest guy google all of that, like they don't let their kids have smartphones, especially wow. when they're young, right? Because it is, it literally is like cocaine. Yeah. There's no difference. And it's an amazing documentary on Netflix. I do recommend that people check it out, but it basically just shows you how the technology is built to manipulate you mm-hmm. and how your information is sold to the highest bidder. And people, especially like young people are like, yeah, whatever. I just want to have the platform for free. Yeah they would be happy to have the platform for free, even if all their data is being mined. Being mined. But I think for me, what is really harrowing is I'm an adult. Uh-huh. So my brain is developed in a way where, yes, I'm impacted by social media, but it's a lot different to the impact it has on a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old. Yeah. And they were saying how like self-harm, suicide, eating disorders are just skyrocketing amongst teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Young teenage girls, as well as older teenage girls, but especially amongst that 12, 13, 14 age. Right. And so it's really quite scary. But then as well, you look at the power structure of it, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole documentary, you've got, you know, you've got designers and the design part is really like the interesting part, like how mm-hmm. the platform is designed to manipulate human psychology. Right. Okay. okay. God, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's designed to manipulate your human psychology to give you those dopamine hits. And there's a pattern of the way that they've designed it specifically for that. But then like there's one black woman in the whole documentary. I think it's like 90 minutes and she's got one scene. She probably says like two sentences. So you realize that these platforms were basically designed by a very small group of people that is nowhere near representative of the nearly 3 billion people that we have on these platforms. And this this lady said something really powerful and she was saying how the algorithms don't know what's true or not. Right. So when we talk about fake news, the algorithm does not know what's true or not. Mm -hmm. And it's the equivalent of, and this other guy was like, it's the equivalent of, we go into Wikipedia, we all see the same information. But on these platforms, you log in and you all see different information based on your own preference. Or what they see as the hook that's going to keep you on the platform the longest. And that's how people get radicalized. If you think about anti-vax movement and and everything that's going on. So when I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, they talk about, you know, how the whole thing was like Russiagate in 2016 when Trump got elected. And one of the guys was like, Russia didn't hack into Facebook. Right. They've used Facebook in the way that it's intended which is to put information out there that is going to manipulate people. That is the way the platform is used. You need to have as many people on the platform as possible to drive ad sales and to get a profit. So it's not really a Russiagate. It's the nature of the platform. It's the function of the platform. And so I was thinking, wow, if I think about, and for those of you that follow us on, on the at Jewel CV Instagram, like, we're super hype about the election results from the weekend. And that's something we want to talk about today. But I was thinking about, whoa, like how... How are these platforms impacting mm-hmm. people when it comes to how they vote? Like, yes, maybe it's not Russiagate 
for this cycle, but it's just crazy how polarized the world is. And I think platforms play such a big role in that culture war that we have right now. And also, I think that that's such a good point. And I was having this conversation with my husband recently, and I was just basically saying, once upon a time, you watched the news or you actively listened to the news on the radio at half hour, top of the hour, whatever. And I love having the radio on now and I wake up to the radio, that kind of thing, to hear the news. But I also... I often will be like quite self-congratulatory about the fact that I don't have a television because I'm like, I don't like to, I could easily just have something like that on in the background, but I will scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll for hours. And I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. I am on Reddit. That started when I looked at incel culture and now I still haven't come off it. I'm on Pinterest. And it's so interesting to hear you say that the guy from Pinterest wouldn't let his kids have a smartphone, for example, because I consider Pinterest to be relatively harmless because all I'm looking at is, you know, paint colors or furniture for my house. But at the same time, am I spending seven hours a day on my phone? There's every chance that I actually am. And that's... Mm so wasteful like it's such a if nothing else it's such a waste of your time it's such a waste of your time and it's such a waste of your life and what the platform is doing is trying to change the way that you think mm-hmm. so I never really got that into Pinterest so I tried to use it a bit when I was planning my wedding but I never really got that into Pinterest but ultimately what they're trying to do is sell you stuff it's a gigantic mm-hmm. Westfield yes So even though it's like, oh, it's harmful stuff, it's still stimulating you and making you think, I want that, I want that, I want that. Yes. And also creating a dissatisfaction with your own life. Mm -hmm. Because I'll find I'll go through Pinterest for hours and like we live in an old house, like it's a fixer upper through and through. And then I'll come out and I'll be like, I hate that bathroom. Like, and I'll be in a really bad mood about it. Like, I hate this bedroom. Like, we need to do such and such a thing. So there's a real, and actually it's just interesting now that you've contextualized this like social dilemma. My husband will be like, just just enjoy the work that we've done so far. Like we've come so far with it. We've made it like so much better than it was, you know? And I'll be like, oh, well, this is not how Kelsey is living in her fixed rapper that I've, <laughs> I'm following on three different social media platforms. Yeah. So it it does fundamentally, like capitalism always wins, essentially, because you're like, well, if I get this new paint color, if I get these cushions, I'll be satisfied. Yeah, but it's so much more intense than I think a lot of us realize. And a point that I thought was really um, interesting is when they said that people always think about AI and like robots taking over. And it's like, when are the robots going to take over? And it's not about the robots taking over. And the robots becoming more powerful, having more strength than human beings. We're in a position now where the AI and the algorithms have cracked human weakness. Yeah. Right. So they understand what your weaknesses are and they're able to manipulate that to keep you dissatisfied, to keep you addicted, to keep you angry. Mm -hmm. And so after I finished that, it was the first time that me and my husband went to bed and we were both reading a book. <laughs> that documentary traumatized us because yeah. we'll go to bed scrolling, right? And so I need to really think about what systems I'm going to put in place yeah. to just be spending less time on my screen. It's particularly hard to do this year, I think, mm. because we are all separated from one another and actually conversely it makes you think actually so much of social media is so hollow because when there isn't a brunch or there isn't a holiday or drinks on a Friday or whatever to post like at the beginning of lockdown most people's feed was throwbacks oh missing this wish I was here again this kind of attitude there was a long period of time where I wouldn't sleep with my phone in our bedroom because I read a study about people who didn't were actually about 42% happier than people who did because, you know, as you kind of said yourself, it's that blue screen just before bed. We're all in bed scrolling kind of thing. But it eventually creeps in and it certainly has crept in over the past six, seven months where time has essentially lost all meaning. Like we're living in such a strange time, I guess, for want of a better word, that you do think, well, it actually doesn't matter if I'm tired tomorrow because tomorrow is just like today and we'll be just like tomorrow because we're all just at home. But think about not sleeping. Like I'm someone that loves sleep. 
Mm. And when I can't sleep, and I've had a couple of nights last week where I couldn't really sleep, but not in a dramatic way, but I probably slept like an hour less than I would have liked. And I wake up and I feel like grouchy and I feel not as upbeat or as alert as I would like. And think about being a teenager, because it does happen in the in the documentary. There's like a teenager and then he gets hooked on the platforms and then he's spending all his time on the platforms. He can't wake up. And then even when he's at school, it's like he's in a trance. It's like he's doped yeah. up. It's like he's high, basically. And so that's why I'm always concerned about the impact it has on teenagers the younger generation yeah you know because your brain is not able to develop you cannot develop and they're going through the data and they're talking about how you know a lot of these teenagers don't even have like a dating life don't really interact with others in the same way that we were interacting with others when we were kids and we're millennials right like I got my first phone when I was 12 yeah same so I always had a phone but social media as we know it today didn't hit until I was at uni Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like before it was the chat rooms, like the hotmail chat room. What was that? You know what? I didn't even have that because we dialed up internet. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so I funny. Double again. But it yeah, is when you like someone at school and then they would like message you on the the hotmail, whatever it was. The MSN kind of chat. Yeah, exactly. MSN. MSN. That's what it was. Yeah. And then obviously Facebook came in when we were at university. So it was a bit different. But obviously I think about it in terms of kids, but older people, like our parents' generation are hooked on Facebook. And are also being radicalised. You know, (laughs) we think about radicalisation as a young people thing, but actually that fake news kind of aspect is also being very much so stirred up. And I think it's interesting what you say about, you know, thinking about young people, because fundamentally being a teenager is hard enough. Even if you had none of the normal things like acne or braces, like it's a very insecure time. You're questioning yourself. You feel unsure of yourself. There's a lot of external and internal pressures. I struggled with that enough just being in the small town that I was from or that I grew up in, you know, about 25,000 people. Can you imagine if I had had nonstop access to all of these comparative tools, essentially, where I could be saying, well, that's how thin I could be. My family and I do a thing where we try to have a WhatsApp call, like a group WhatsApp call once a week. And I can't remember how it came up last night, but we were talking about, do you remember the size zero trend, which would have been around about when I was in, in secondary school, where like size zero was so in vogue. And my younger sister, Imogen, was saying that she remembers reading Nicole Ritchie and Paris Hilton were having a barbecue at their house and like the invite got leaked and it was something like that there was going to be uh, weighing scales at the front door of the party and if you weighed more than 105 pounds you weren't allowed in and my sister was laughing and she was like I just remember at the time I was genuinely upset because I thought oh I wouldn't be able to get into Paris Hilton's barbecue and That was media in the way that that was from a magazine that we had to go out and buy and read that information. But the toxicity is on a whole other level if you think that that's just at the end of your arm. Yeah, I mean, now it's crazy now because before you would be in a certain school, you'd live in a certain neighbourhood and you'd benchmark yourself against the people in your own community, Um, your own family members, etc. Now you benchmark yourself against the Kardashians. Yes, you benchmark yourself against Gigi Hadid. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to be depressed. For sure. <laughs> you I benchmark mean... yourself against, you know, Christmas time. And then everyone has like their amazing Christmas. And then everybody goes skiing. Yeah. The first week of Christmas is like the Christmas of the family. And then the next week, it's like everyone's on the slopes. Yeah, true. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's really, really rough. It's It's rough because... To have your confidence be completely dismantled mm-hmm. at a very young age, I can't even imagine it. It's horrible. I don't know if I'll watch this because I feel a bit overly sensitive about my... No, watch it because you might have a completely different takeaway to what I did. No, because I think that your takeaway is very in line with what I've heard other people say about it. But I almost feel like I think I do just need to delete a lot of... <laughs> A lot of the ones that I have on my phone, I need to get rid of Reddit. I need to get rid of... This guy said he had to write a code to stop him from getting into Reddit. 
really yeah Reddit is actually it might be one of the most addictive ones to me because I don't know anyone on it but it's just it's just people's comments and opinions and you can just read and read and read and it's almost like that's giving me a better dopamine hit than just seeing the images that I get mm-hmm. on other things and I feel like I come away from it feeling less quote-unquote like dissatisfied because I'm always just like well I'm just reading what other people are saying but it's too much I got my screen time report today and I am about seven hours a day and that's Mm -hmm. just time that could be spent doing other things yeah my time is at five hours Mm. which is still really high I would ideally like it to be three yeah because at least you have got all these platforms that you're engaging with (laughs) I literally only have Instagram I barely (laughs) check Facebook so majority of that is Instagram and WhatsApp because they do class WhatsApp as oh, what? okay, that might be. a platform. So a lot of it is WhatsApp, mm-hmm. basically. So yeah, I mean, something to think about. If you haven't watched that on Netflix, I do recommend it. Yeah, and especially if you do have kids, you need to start thinking about like how you're going to negotiate that and manage cool. that in your household. Yeah, very, very stressful. And obviously it can be a power for good. But as you said yourself, like in the context of the election, it can also be a power for evil. And I think that what sometimes I find myself enjoying a little too much is like the meme culture that we are so much a part of now. Mm. And basically the communication that can take place, like the multi-layered meaning that can take place in a picture now, because it's like, oh, well, that was this in-joke, which is now referencing this in-joke. And then this was a song that went viral for a while. (laughs) What they've done is they've actually put those three things together into one image and you either get it or you don't. And I'm like, "Mm, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah but that happened with that whole um and I don't know if you saw the original but there was an original video of this black lady being arrested you're about to lose and she your was job. Like, yeah exactly and she's like you're about to lose your job and it basically that went viral yeah and now people put that audio on top of all these different memes about Trump losing his job yeah so obviously highly highly entertaining you know it's interesting with the U.S. election because I am someone who puts policy first Mm -hmm. I'm a policy person and because I'm a policy person and because I believe that healthcare is a human right I am not someone that looks at Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democratic Party winning the election as a massive win Mm -hmm. I look at it like yeah that's good because the Trump administration started to become so extreme yes it was just too much that I'm grateful that they're out. Yes. But the Dems have not offered people anything. And so from a policy, that's why now when you talk about memes online, I was just like, yeah, it's going to be a party at the White House. Uh I'm showing my girl Kamala Harris doing her dance moves because Mm -hmm. I look at it like, yeah, this is a great moment for the culture. Yes. I do get what you're saying. I think, you know, when we were still in the, or when we, I'm like... I don't live in America and I've got no immediate desire to live in America. But for the past 10 days, I've been like, you know, the problem is we, 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 we. But when they were still counting the votes and mail-in ballots hadn't begun to be counted yet, and it was very much so kind of Trump army, the red mirage, as they called it. I said to my husband, you know, I know that there is legitimate critique of Biden and Harris, but what I would just love to see is that people voted because they felt that it was like the right thing to do. Essentially, as you've said, that they looked at Trump and they looked at Biden and they thought, this is the better of those two options. This is the kinder of those two options. And it does just feel like there's been so much, you know, you look at Boris coming into power in the UK or Boris Johnson coming into power in the UK. I'm really trying hard to not just call him Boris anymore because I feel like it just it makes him a bit quirky, makes him a bit amiable. You look at Johnson in the UK, you look at the children's meals, you look at the ruthlessness with which so many people govern, the ruthlessness with which people are voted in. I just Mm. wanted something a bit gentler. (laughs) It's a very, very difficult one. I think the key lesson from, and I think Boris got this lesson really quickly, because as soon as it was officially announced that Biden was the president-elect, Then we see on the news that the Tory government have gone back on this issue of school meals and they are going to be giving these vulnerable kids free school meals over the holiday. And I don't think that that result would have happened if Biden hadn't won the election in the US. I actually couldn't agree more. I think that what there has been a lot of, 
And again, you know, for a moment, putting to one side the idea that actually, or the fact that Biden and Harris aren't these super, super, super progressive. Um, yeah, but they're not progressive at all. So no, but, it's not really about being super progressive. They're not progressive at all. But what I mean is, if we put that to, to one side for a second in the context of this argument, it is the idea that people have been passively voting or not voting at all because they've just felt like, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then you see it's unfortunate that it has to get to a point like this where children are not getting free school meals or people are being murdered extrajudiciously in the streets, but that it's somewhat nice to know, actually, there is a threshold at which people will say, no, 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 I don't want any more of that. And that you've got the capacity for someone like Biden to flip states, you know, because otherwise it was such a damning indictment of people as a whole that it was like, yeah, no, you know what? We'll keep on with this, actually. Mm. It seems good to me. You know, I look at things in the long term. And mm. I think in the short term, this is like a feel-good pill. Yeah. And I was feeling good on the weekend. I love to see a black woman shining. And, you know, there's the policy side, but then there's also just understanding mm. that misogyny is very real. Racism is very real. For Kamala Harris to achieve what she has is amazing. And I just have to give her the credit for that. There's a reason why it's 2020 and she's the first woman VP in the US, right? So absolutely, I take my hat off in that sense. But the reason why I say it's just a feel good pill is because ultimately people do vote on their interests. And if you look at the data, 82% of people in America that felt the economy was their number one interest voted for Trump. People that felt that the coronavirus was their number one interest voted for Biden because Trump just handled it so badly. So the Democratic Party will have to find an issue. Mm -hmm. Like with Obama, you know, you had Obamacare, like it became a flagship yeah. policy. Maybe some feel it didn't go far enough, but it was definitely better than what they had before. So the Democrats will have to have a policy. Yes. Because right now there is no policy. We don't really know what's going on but they're gonna have to think about something and I think the point you make about yeah it, it was all becoming a very overwhelming and it is positive that someone like Biden can flip a state or someone like Stacey Abrams can flip a state mm. like Georgia for yeah. Biden and for the Democrats and register almost a million voters she registered yeah, exactly. 100 or helped 800,000 people get registered like yeah and that's amazing like I think that's absolutely amazing but then I'm like all right cool let's look at the data mm -hmm. who are these people mm -hmm. the challenging thing for me and I kept saying on the Instagram over the weekend is like I'm really shocked and maybe I shouldn't be but I am shocked that more white women because the majority of white women voted for Trump in 2016 yeah. and then more white women voted for Trump in 2020 and then overall Trump had the majority of the white vote in the U.S. Mm-hmm and I'm trying to understand what that's about. I know. And the thing is, it's so disappointing. And that's where I think, actually, it ties in well with what you've said about social media at the beginning of this podcast, because I operate in such a liberal bubble. And a lot of the time, I know that I do. But because, obviously, politics is a spectrum, policy is a spectrum, you do, or certainly I do, tell myself that I'm not always operating in that bubble because there are issues within that that I don't necessarily, I'm not cohesive with my echo chamber on. So broadly speaking, we might agree that healthcare is a right, but then there might be people to the right of me or to the left of me of that. And you kind of tell yourself that, okay, well, that's good enough. I am making sure that I'm not just living in an echo chamber. But what I'm finding and what I'm realizing more and more is that you mentioned that you're a policy voter. And I'm realizing that people are single issue voters. And that, you know, when you talk about the economy and tax, for example, it makes you realize that when you could see all of these people talking about Biden's tax plans and being taxed on over 400k a year, I was saying to my husband at the weekend, you know, I see these tweets and I see these people talking about it. And I'm thinking, you have the same knowledge of tax as I did when I was about 16. <laughs> like there's no awareness of tax brackets and it being staggered. And realistically, if you don't understand how that operates, you're probably not earning 400k a year anyway. And I don't mean that to be dismissive. I mean it as a fact, because most people who are pushing the upper limits of a tax bracket are very aware of 
what is going where and how much they're earning. But there's an intersection here between aspirational and single issue voters. You believe that the economy is an issue and you believe that you have the capacity to be earning over 400k a year at some point in the not too distant future. So you're voting Republican because you think that that is going to protect the economy and your as of yet unearned money. And I don't understand it. I definitely don't get that. But that is really, I mean, we are from the UK. And so I think obviously people hate taxes, but like, I think in America, they really hate them. Yeah. (laughs) So we hate them, but I think they really, really hate them. So absolutely, I'm on the same page as you when it comes to that. It's not something I get. Like me and my husband are always like, yeah, they're complaining about taxes. They'll probably be charged like 20p more. Yeah. Like you are not that affluent. Sit down. Yeah. So that's one thing that's confusing. But I also think an issue that people do not discuss enough is white people genuinely being concerned about diversity, like being concerned that the white race is not going to be the majority Mm -hmm. in the US. I think it's something that does concern people. And I was talking to a mate of mine who is American, a white American lady. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what do you think about the election? And she said, absolutely, like abortion. And like, I don't really say it's women's rights, like reproductive rights, but like women not having reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. like people being pro-life and believing women should not have reproductive rights she's like that's a really big issue and then she was also saying that she has a family member lives in Pennsylvania from the suburbs and wanted to vote for Biden initially but then once he picked Kamala Harris as a VP decided she was going to vote for Trump really yeah. wow so I'm not sure what the best way to phrase it but this is an issue for people like I think if the Dems had two white people on the ticket they might have won more they might have won more of the white female vote. It's an interesting idea. Like you you could be right and we'll never really know for sure, obviously. Yeah. I think that you've got an overlap here where it's almost like pick your poison. Do you want to be more misogynistic or do you want to be more racist? And that a lot of the time people are actually like, I shouldn't have to make that choice. Why not both? And Kamala Harris allowed them to pick both. But I don't know that people would have voted or that white women specifically would have voted more for Biden had he had a white female as his running mate because white women majority voted for Trump no not as in majority but maybe a few more right yeah, would have yeah, voted yeah. for the Dems mm-hmm. if it wasn't a black female on the ticket or female because apparently gender is huge here I think that gender is a huge component. Now, had he had Buttigieg or something like that, maybe that would have made a huge difference as well. But you've spoken before on this podcast about scarcity mindset, and I think that it is such a relevant topic. And I think that, you know, what's so interesting is the the myopia that goes hand in hand with single issue voters. And the idea that, as you said, the fear that we are but we, but again, not American, the fear that diversity is going to be included in such a way that suddenly whites are the minority. And it's sad fundamentally, but it's also almost funny because it's like, well, why would it be an issue to be a minority unless we're treating minorities badly? Why are you worried about being a minority if there isn't an issue with racism or systemic oppression in this country? You must believe that there is something fundamentally good about being the majority and being higher up in the power structure, or there wouldn't be a fear that we would dismantle that power structure. Oh, clap for yourself, because that's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll clap for you. (laughs) Bang on. If I had £10, I'd cash up it to you. (laughs) That's an excellent point. You know, if racism is not an issue, what's all this worry about not being the majority? What is that? And that's why social media platforms play a role, because I believe that the social media platforms instigate fear. There's this just increase in fear. And I was also saying to a friend of mine, it's crazy because obviously I've grown up in London, so I've grown up around so much diversity Mm -hmm. that I never because I've grown up I've since primary school always been in mixed classes and always been with different people I don't really have a fear of people that are different to me Mm -hmm. I realize that where it's been a bit more challenging to connect with someone is if they are from like a single background 
like if they've grown up in like one place with like one type of people and have one type of friends and like their partner is like from down the street you know that's where it becomes a bit difficult but in London that's so rare yeah 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 because a lot of the time people have moved from somewhere or their parents had moved from somewhere and so there's a language that we speak so Mm -hmm. when I see someone like Kamala Harris that is a direct win for someone like me who is upwardly socially mobile yeah who is ambitious and ambitious well-traveled I have Mm -hmm. friends from everywhere like I'm sure Kamala Harris and I could sit down and hang out and really have a blast yeah and so it's interesting that someone like me is like oh yeah but what about the policy Mm -hmm. because culturally it's a win I'm black and I'm female yeah I'm upwardly mobile. I'm educated. Like it's a win for me culturally, but I still always just think about the policy. And the reason why I think about the policy is because I worry that if we just focus on culture and all of us kind of looking different, but being similar, it's like that international schools, universities, et cetera. Like you can look different, but you're kind of similar, similar views Mm -hmm. and everything. I feel like if we continue with that track and the left doesn't have a strong message for the working class, Yes. Then in four years or in eight years, there will be an even worse version of someone like Trump. I actually totally, totally agree with you. I think that there is a disenfranchisement that that comes into play and that you've got And we shouldn't be proud of it. Like we shouldn't no. like all over the in all over Instagram, it's like, oh, first black female this, first black trans person to achieve this. First, this, you know, and I think that stuff is cool. And representation does matter, but people can't eat representation. Mm. Give them something. On the one hand, I think that people need room to breathe, right? And you've never had someone, well, I don't want to say never, that's absolutely not true. Certainly in my voting lifetime, you haven't had someone like Trump who is so overtly discriminatory towards people of colour towards the LGBTQ community where, you know, things have been rolled back or outwardly explicitly dismissed by the sitting president. So I appreciate that also some people do just want to lean into it and say, oh my God, we don't have another four years of this because if there were another four years of it, you would have a situation where who knows how empowered he would feel in his actions. But that being said, I also you know, read a piece which I thought it really resonated with me where it said, this doesn't mean that the work stops. If you became politically engaged because of Trump, that's great. Please maintain this energy now that he is no longer here. Black lives still matter. We still need protective legislation for dreamers, for immigrants. You know, we still need to continue to move towards a progressive America. We still need to do that globally, but specifically Mm -hmm. in the context of America. And I think that one of the strengths that Biden really does have is that internationally speaking, he is a diplomat at heart and is able to build and maintain relationships in a way that Trump simply was not. Yeah, but who does that benefit? That just benefits the Americans that can travel and then people are not going to keep talking to them about Trump. Like who does that benefit like on CNN with the election results and they were saying oh it's so great with Biden because you know and Van Jones was actually crying Van Jones was dragged because that guy's got issues but Van Jones was saying oh yeah now you know tone matters like respectability is restored in the White House and decency is restored in the White House and Obama was an incredibly decent leader like Obama the Obamas it doesn't get any more decent than them But in terms of outcomes for marginalized groups, for working class groups, like they didn't have the best outcomes under that decent, amazing no, that's leadership, true. right? And so that's why I'm just saying like, yes, guys, it's a great moment, but this needs to be thought about in a bit more depth. And over the week, because obviously the election dragged. So one of my friends, like we were having these like late night group chats mm-hmm. with people from all over the place US London etc and we were talking about the election one of the points that i was making is that when it comes to like a big thing with with the election is that oh, more black women voted for trump i think it was literally like two black chicks from some random place but mm-hmm. more black women voted for trump more black men voted for trump latino men voted for trump and 
people have this like obsession with minorities and it's like they feel that minorities have to vote democratic and we have that in the UK with Labour like they have to and then there's all this energy that's dedicated to analyzing or why did those two black guys vote for Trump Mm -hmm. and somebody said so many black people on the call so many black people voted for Trump and I said oh how many and they're like I don't really have the number right here I said yeah because because it's not so many (laughs) (laughs) how many compared to the white people that have voted for Trump. So it's really complex and it's nuanced. And if we sit here on our liberal, like with our degrees and our education, and we keep saying, oh, they believe in QAnon, they believe in this. And I was saying to these guys, because I thought Trump would win. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, listen, you know, if Trump wins, you can't blame QAnon or say these people are not educated or these people are racist. Okay, this is not right because they are part of the society as well and you need to understand why you don't have a message that resonates Mm -hmm. we can't say that oh they voted for trump because they are racist it is a bit more complex than that and i think we need to try and understand it and even though the dems have won it's still 50 50 yeah this is the thing you've got we posted it recently i think on the instagram where it was a group of guys i actually can't think of their name now they're a band but from northern ireland and the question that was posed to them was like why do you think the british know so little irish history and the response was because ignorance is bred into the culture and i think that you see that a lot in america as well the propaganda is so strong and someone i was talking to at the weekend had this really interesting point and it was just about how can you talk so much about America the brave America the land of the free and actually have so little respect for your country that you don't actually want to pay tax for example so when we talk about the Democrats and we talk about them losing some of the Hispanic vote or losing some of the the black vote or whatever it's because there is an ignorance bred into this white liberal intelligentsia where we treat those cultures as a monolith and in the interest of like fairness we treat white people as a monolith as well obviously but in the same way no that's not true because when it comes white people people believe white people have a choice they will court yes of course vote and they will say we need to appeal to these suburban moms we need to appeal to the rust belt we need to do this they i they know that different white people have different needs. For sure. But what I mean by that is that we compartmentalize people into category. We do white, black, we do Hispanic, you know, that kind of thing. We treat them as a monolith in terms of those categorizations. But the reason that the Democrats will continue to lose votes in those spaces is because they think that you can speak to that entire group and give them one issue. So when you talk about correctly saying that white people will have different issues that they look to vote on, well, you will look to position things like Planned Parenthood, because the liberal Democrat white woman voter is pro-choice. The Republican voter or the white woman who isn't voting Democrat is realistically going to be Christian. And she, as a result of that, is anti-choice or pro-life. And so, you know, there's a very clear divide there on what issue And if you continue or if the Democratic Party continue to just segment things into abortion, tax, immigration, you can't attract new voters unless you are looking to attract the younger generation of voters who have the savvy to say, I'm going to inform myself on X, Y, Z. And you do have the generation that's coming up behind us are more politically engaged They're interested in their educating themselves, but you're never going to continue to attract new people from different age demographics because you were trying to deal in bullet points and that's not how this works. And also, I think what I've realized, especially having a podcast and being somebody that's quite opinionated, I'm not interested in um, really changing people's view. It's incredibly difficult Mm. for people to change their mind because you already have that bias and what the majority of us do is look for information that reinforces our bias so I do agree with you on that I think it's going to be very very difficult to attract I mean it's interesting in the US because so many more people voted but I guess those people already had a a disposition Mm -hmm. a political disposition and then voted in line with that and it is interesting about sort of the young person's vote 
I really do hope that the young person's vote is progressive. But when I looked at the data, and I'll post it back on the Jules and Phoebe Instagram, but it's interesting because the youth vote or the young people's vote, like the black vote, Latino vote is progressive. And the white young people's vote is not. Really? Okay. Well, I've shown myself up there because I'd obviously not. Yeah, it's not. That's what was so shocking because like young white people are not progressive. That's really, that's hard to stomach, isn't it? You like to think that we're constantly moving towards that kind of space. You like to think that, you know, as the information is at our fingertips, and obviously we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about social media, but the information could be there if you want to actually look for it, right? The internet is at your fingertips, regardless of social media. Difficult to know that people are essentially actively voting against their best interests. So young voters of colour overwhelmingly supported Joe Biden, but the white youth vote was 45% Trump and 51% Biden. And the Latino youth vote was 74% Biden and 23% Trump. Jeez. Black youth vote, 86% Biden, 10% Trump. And Asian youth vote, 83% Biden and 14% Trump. Wow, 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 wow. So. Disappointing. That's, I think, very interesting because we also will put young people in the same bucket and say, oh, yeah, Youth vote is progressive, not the white youth vote. Wow. And you're so right as well in saying that, you know, sometimes you just don't want to change people's minds. I think it's a tricky one because there is a lot of time and energy that needs to go into changing people's minds. And we spoke about this earlier this year as well, about expecting, particularly in the context of BLM, expecting black people to do that work for you and educate others when it should be the work of either yourself to educate yourself right or that white people should step in and say listen here are some resources that I would recommend or whatever that the onus shouldn't be on the oppressed to do the education Mm. essentially but that's why the results for me are problematic with such an overwhelming amount of black people voting for Biden Mm mm-hmm And there being no platform, like the Democratic Party have not catered to this group in any way. And then because you have people like Stacey Abrams, what Stacey Abrams has achieved in Georgia is, I don't think historical magnitude, these are not words, we need a new word. Because (laughs) what she achieved, if there's a word for it, and I'm not sure what it is. And I was talking about the Stacey Abrams situation with some of my mates on the weekend. And they were saying, wow, I really hope they've got a position for Stacey Mm. after this. They were saying that, oh, Stacey should be the Democratic Party chair. She's such a boss. Yes. And what she's achieved is blank, no word for it. Seismic. Seismic. Probably no more than that. (laughs) And um, you know, I just hope that she's front and center and she really has the opportunity to shine. Yeah, me too. I'm interested to see what Biden does. I'm interested to see what kind of cabinet he puts together. You know, I do want to clarify when I said earlier that at his core, he is a diplomat. I was thinking a little bit closer to home in terms of the benefits of that. What's crazy to me is that when Trump was elected, Brexit had just been voted on as well. So Trump has now done his full presidency and we have not successfully Brexited. It is insane to me. And I think that in Biden, you have someone who is internationally quite well versed in what is going on in different places. So, for example, earlier on this summer, he, I think it was earlier on this summer, he basically said UK, US trade tariffs would be impacted if measures aren't put in place to protect the Good Friday Agreement. And in saying that, he demonstrated more understanding than a lot of people in Europe, because I think it was the German chancellor had been like, well, we'll just put up a border and had to have the Good Friday Agreement explained to him. So you've got someone here that like, don't get me wrong, I know that there are areas that he is lacking in. But I think that fundamentally, you have someone who is intelligent, and who understands global diplomacy. And I can only hope that that means something good for people globally, 
So like, for example, no Muslim ban, for example, that there's a bit more foresight than just, I'm going to get companies to come back here and work instead, but never actually follow through on that. Yeah, I agree. I think in that regard, Biden is a steady hand, right? Mm. So there shouldn't be a Muslim ban. I really hope they have a deal with Iran. They should join the Paris Accord. Yes. Because that's really the bare minimum. So I think those things will be fine. But I'm not convinced that we are back in our old phase of politics. But I'm not convinced that the Democratic Party can just go back to business as usual and speak that diplomatic language and eat their sushi and hang out and not do something for the blue collar guy no I think that you're right and I think that that actually we'll have more good years and then it will they'll flip the table no and and I totally agree because I think as well you know it's one thing that COVID has really brought into sharp relief for me and I live in a bubble of privilege but I would say that my husband and I are from working class backgrounds and my husband is like he's very skilled and he is one of the most intelligent people I know. He's worked in his industry for 17 years, but the Tory government, in fact, not even the Tory government, it's been everywhere essentially. And they've just ultimately said, excuse my language, fuck the trades. And there has been no support. There's been no foresight. There's been no protection for those people who don't tick the neat little white collar box of working in an office, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that you're absolutely right. I think that the blue collar should absolutely be the priority in the next four years because they have had the rug ripped out underneath them. And ultimately, the Paris Accord means nothing to them. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about how they afford to feed their kids or, you know, pay the electricity bill or whatever. And we, we should be thinking about them. We should be looking to support them. They should be our priority. Yeah, and I don't think it's a choice anymore. No. And I think that that's what Boris realised, and that's why I had to get Marcus Rashford on the phone Mm -hmm. and say, let's sort this out. Yeah. Because it's a false choice that people think in power think they have, where I'm like, I'm just going to ignore these people. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works, because eventually, I don't know that if there'll be someone, the correct person on the platform for them to listen to, but like, you know, they will eventually um, topple you. I think, and, you know, maybe this is a good note to leave it on because what you found in the UK is that actually there is a point that most people can agree on, whether you're good or bad or Tory or Labour or rich or poor, it's that children deserve to eat. But there was a brief window where it looked like maybe we couldn't agree on that. And, you know, you had a Tory MP up north tweeting, glad to see that so many of the restaurants can afford to be giving out free food to children. Hopefully they'll remember this the next time they start looking for government handouts. You think, okay, well, okay, obviously 100% of us can't agree that children deserve to eat, but we're (laughs) nearly there. Yeah, we're nearly there. It's really, really interesting times. So, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Follow the podcast at Jules Phoebe on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment. Give us some feedback on the podcast. Yes, please share the podcast with a friend. And thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.